everybody. I'm your host, Lisa Shield. Welcome to Dating Without Drama, where I give you my unique take on everything related to men, love, dating, and romantic relationships. My practical yet spiritual approach to getting emotionally naked and attracting what I call a guardian of your soul will be music to your ears. So let's get started. All right. So today I want to talk about a really important question that you need to consider when you're dating. I think many of us don't realize that there's so much fear that we're not aware of, of actually getting what we want when it comes to love and even in life. I'll share a story about myself and it's, I look back on this and it breaks my heart that I let this happen. So I was a fashion photographer for 15 years, and I lived in Milan for seven of those years. When I was shooting, I was very deeply insecure. It was a time in my life where I didn't know who I was, and I was searching for my identity, and being a photographer was part of that identity search. I was really lost, and I I didn't know who I was and who I wanted to be. So I just was sort of trying to create an identity for myself. And photography seemed like a really cool career. And so that's what I decided to do. It was creative and I had a camera and I put very little thought, if I'm being honest, into even picking that career. But it wound up being one that I loved and that I stuck with for a long time, surprisingly. I even went to grad school. And what was so hard about shooting fashion is that fashion really requires a tremendous, just to be a professional photographer, requires a tremendous amount of self-confidence. And I had this, you know, self-talk that I was fabulous and I was a great photographer and all of these things that I told myself, but I was actually subtly sabotaging my own career because I was so insecure. I wanted jobs and I dreamed of getting professional jobs, but the truth was that when I got them, I sabotaged them. And so here's the really sad story. I went into Womo Vogue, which is men's Vogue in Italy. Vogue Italy is one of the most prestigious magazines you can shoot for. And I went in, I'm sitting with Franca Sozzani and another editor at Vogue, Maybe it wasn't Franca. It was the the Womo Vogue editor. She did uh, Women's Vogue. But I'm sitting with the Vogue editor and he's looking at my work and he's talking to his colleague. And he says to me, you know, I think we can hire you. I think we'll use you to do what's called advertorial. So it's sort of an editorial advertising section. Can you imagine how many photographers get to work for Womo Vogue, right? And here I am, they're looking at my portfolio and I'm sitting there and this is where I self-sabotaged. I'm sitting there and I'm internally terrified to actually get a job to work for them because I know that I have so much insecurity, even though I want the job, even though it's like the creme de la creme more than any, you know, it's like what nobody could imagine getting a break at Womo Vogue. So I self-sabotaged. And the way I did that was I said to them, I said, you know, while I have you here, can you just give me your feedback on my portfolio? I thought, wow, I've got this great editor and I'm standing here. And I knew that that editor was going to be honest. 
And they started looking at my portfolio and saying, well, you know, you lack originality and you need this and you need that and whatever. And I walked out of the Womo Vogue office and I didn't hear, we want to use you to do some advertorial. What I heard was, you have no taste, you have no style, you're not a good photographer. And I really set myself up for that because they must have seen something they liked enough to say, we'd like to use you for this project. And all I heard was, you're not good enough. I walked out of Womo Vogue and I never called them again. I never went back and I never got an opportunity to work with them. And it was a tragedy. It really was. But the truth was my insecurity was so deep and it was so real. And no matter how hard I tried to get ahead, I couldn't, right? I just couldn't because I was terrified of failing. This is what many of us do in dating. We want these great love affairs with great men, and we're dreaming of having this perfect romance. We can see the guy, we can envision the life, and we tell ourselves that we deserve it, right? That we deserve it. But then we're going out with wonderful men, we're going on dates, we're sitting across from guys, and we self-sabotage. We're up in our heads, we're overanalyzing things. That little voice inside our heads is saying, yeah, you know, I don't think he likes you or you're too much for him. He'll never want to be with someone like you. You push men away. You're too masculine. You can't have a guy like that. We self-sabotage and yet we're sitting across from the editor of Womo Vogue and we talk ourselves out of it just like I did, right? You're sitting in front of a great guy and you sabotage it. I did this. I came that close to sabotaging my relationship with my husband, the one I have right now. And I can have all the fantasies in the world about how a man will chase me if he's in love with me and everything I can tell myself. But if I push love away, I push love away. I push it away. And so this little voice, one, you know, the devil on one shoulder said, you know, get out of there. Your energy is going to drive this man crazy. Now, if I had listened to that voice, as much as I liked Benjamin and I thought he was great, I would have thought, you know what? I'm just too much for him. And I would have pushed him away. I would have sabotaged the relationship. Luckily, anybody who's worked with me knows <laughs> that there is another voice in our head that we can tune into. And I work with my women when I coach them through my program. We talk about developing this voice of love and compassion and inner wisdom and confidence. And so in developing that voice, thank God I had done this when I met my husband, that other voice said to me, don't you dare. This is everything you've said you wanted. This man is crazy about you. And if it doesn't work out, you'll get through it, but you're not going anywhere. Thank God, right? <laughs> that I listened to the other voice and not this one. But if I hadn't, I would have sabotaged this and pushed it away. I would have lost the best man I've ever met in my entire life because I would have sabotaged it because I didn't really feel I was ready for it. I'm kind of curious if any of you are willing to admit that you've done something like this, like you've had 
a beautiful opportunity. Maybe you've had a guy that was really into you and it was just too much. You knew it. I remember I even did the same thing with my first boyfriend when I was just a girl with a, with a number of guys. I had some really sweet boys that were interested in me when I was really young. And I remember pushing them away. I pushed them away because I was so scared and insecure. And I really couldn't understand what they liked about me or what they wanted from me. And those feelings, those fears go with us through life until we address them, until we stop and we really look at this. This is something many of you are doing in your love lives. You're pushing men away, good men, and not even realizing it. And you're getting caught up in the fantasies and the dreams. So these really good guys are coming into your field of awareness and you're oblivious to them. Or, you know, you minimize them or you somehow discount them. And then you go for the guys that have the spark and the charge and fireworks and the love bombers and the players. That's what we go for. And these really, really, really wonderful men, the sweet men, the men like my husband who are really sincere. We don't know what to do with those guys because they're for real. They're not a fantasy. They're for real. And so I just got a message from a wonderful client who graduated my course last year, and she sent me this beautiful email. I should probably just read it from her because it is so, so sweet, and I'd rather put it in her words. I'm going to bring it up right now. She said, I'm not sure if you remember me, but I took your course about a year ago. So much has happened between now and then, and my dating journey has been a wild one. But I'm writing today to say thank you because I'm pretty damn sure I found my guy and I couldn't be happier. Great, right? So when this client came to see me originally, here's what she, she said, Lisa, I'm not finding any good men that I want to date. Now listen to what she says. Anyway, here's my great revelation. My problem was never that I wasn't attracting amazing men. I was. My problem was that I didn't know what an amazing man looked like if he was sitting right in front of me. How powerful is that? Thank you, Lisa. I'm so hopeful for the future of this relationship. And I truly hope to be emailing you not too far down the road with even happier updates. I took all the material in your course to heart and I really believe that's a huge part of how and why Al and I came together. Years ago, I dismissed him. Do you get that? Years ago, I dismissed him. But with the help of your course, I started seeing him with completely different eyes. Ladies, you've, you know, I know how this stuff goes and I'm not making it up. I think every single one of you could look back over your history and see some really great men who were interested in you, where you sabotaged it, where you pushed them away out of your own insecurity. You told yourself, oh, I'll be too much for him, or I'm not enough for this guy. This is what this client said. She said, at the time she originally met him, I knew he was attracted to me, but frankly, I didn't take him seriously because he was such a catch. She said she thought that he was too much of a catch for her. If you saw how gorgeous this woman is, 
you wouldn't even believe that she could write those words. She's beautiful, beautiful. And yet she thought this guy was too much of a catch for her. Self-sabotage, ladies. <laughs> he was into her. She could tell he was interested, but she didn't think she was good enough for him. So what do we do about this? How do we get past this self-sabotage? Because that's really what you want to know, right? We can all agree that we do it, but how do we get past it? So Cindy said, pushing away just by discounting their compliments. Yeah. Yep. You don't receive. That's one way, Cindy, of not receiving love from men. So that's what we do. We push away their compliments and we discount them. We don't believe that they really are sincere and that they really mean what they say. So we minimize it. Rhonda says gain self-confidence. So Rhonda, the question is, how do you gain self-confidence? How do you practice self-love? What are things that we do to gain self-confidence? So, you know, I'll use my own self as an example. One of the ways that I gained self-confidence was by facing the single biggest issue in my life, my weight. My weight had plagued me from childhood. I had been up and down. I felt fatter than all the kids when I was growing up. And as I went through the rest of my life, my weight went up and down and up and down and up and down. I decided one day that I was no longer going to live my life as a victim of this weight issue. And I can tell you that on any given day of any week of any year, if I wasn't obsessing over something else or thinking about something else, I was thinking about food and my weight. It was the constant inner dialogue in my mind. And so I decided that I was going to deal with this. And I realized this wasn't like a Jenny Craig issue. Something this long and this deep and something this prevalent is something that really needs a much deeper approach than just a diet. So I made a decision based on the fact that my father was an alcoholic and food can be an addiction. I decided to go to a 12-step program and deal with this lifelong issue around food. And I told myself quitting wasn't an option. I had to really stick with it. I was just going to surrender and listen to them and do what they told me to do because nothing I had ever done had worked. So I went to this program. It was called CEA How, and I went there for four years, three times a week. I went to meetings and I stuck with it for four years and I really conquered this issue with food. I love my body today. I have a good relationship to food. I don't eat the wrong stuff. I don't stuff myself to stuff down my feelings. By freeing up myself, my identity, who I am, and empowering myself in this very important area of my life that had been so disempowering for so long, I was able to change my, my life. And I found a level of confidence by taking on my biggest issue that I would never have gotten ever. And one of the things they say in a 12-step program is the way we build self-esteem is by doing esteemable acts. And facing this weight issue and treating myself with love and giving myself this gift of freedom from food and weight, yeah, it was really, really, really empowering. And so that was how I built my self-esteem. And then I thought, wow, if I can tackle that, 
I can go out and date and face my issues with men and love and relationships. And it gave me the courage to not only know that I could face a major life issue, but then I could also follow through. Okay. So we gain self-confidence by facing our issues and creating new habits. Does anybody know, has anybody read a book called Atomic Habits? This is a very, very popular self-help book, and it's by James Clear, and it talks about how to create new habits, right? How are habits formed? What do we need to do and who do we need to be in order to actually create a new habit in our lives? So a habit is something where the brain creates a shortcut for something that you do repeatedly. That's great, Natalie. I, do you like it? I think it's phenomenal. I think it's just phenomenal. It's a book I think that, you know, most of us would have to read more than once just to really get it. But the bottom line or the base of this is that in order to change your life and create a new habit, you must actually create a shift first at the identity level, at the level of your identity. So if you believe that you're not beautiful and you have a weight issue and you don't change this idea, this foundational idea that you're beautiful and that you can be beautiful, if you think like I'm, I'm ugly and nobody's going to ever love me, then even if you go to the gym and you say, I'm going to work out and I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to look my best, you may be able to do that for a short time, but you won't be able to sustain it. You won't be able to integrate the new behavior because you don't really believe that you're beautiful and you don't love yourself enough to be able to continue going to the gym and working out, working on your physical appearance because you don't think that you're pretty. And so you'll default back into your old way of doing things. You can white knuckle it for a little while, but you must change that foundational belief about yourself first. And then, you know, you have to feel deserving of love. You have to change that foundational belief that you're not beautiful. And how would you change that foundational belief about not being beautiful? How would you change that? If you really don't think you're beautiful, you really think that you're not attractive, you have a lifetime of proof that you're not attractive. And so how are you going to really authentically change that belief that you're not attractive so that you could actually go out and commit to going to the gym and becoming more attractive and sticking with it? How would you do that? Does anybody know? Because if you don't ask yourself these kinds of questions, it's very hard to shift behaviors. We all want to shift behaviors at the physical level, but we have to shift our behaviors at the level of personality first. We have to have these very deep inquiries into these kinds of questions. So I want to shift this behavior. How do I do it? Do I create a bunch of affirmations? Come on, ladies, you know your stuff. Do you create affirmations? Do you put post-its all over your mirror? Do you surround yourself with positive people? How do you start to shift this foundational belief that you're not beautiful? I'll tell you how I shifted it. I didn't shift it by putting up post-its all over my house. I shifted it by shifting my belief around what it means to be beautiful. Do you all get this? I didn't try to convince myself thinking if I read enough post-its and say enough affirmations, it would change. 
I had to love myself from the inside out. But how I did that, Linda, was by not trying to talk myself into thinking I'm beautiful, but by changing my belief around what it means to be beautiful. That was the shift. And I redefined beauty. I feel much more attractive today than I was when I was younger. When I was younger, I was overweight. I had long, dark, stringy black hair, and I didn't really love myself. I was clinically depressed. And so I had to shift this belief that I was ugly and that nobody was really attracted to me because I had a lot of evidence of that. I started to ask myself, well, what is beauty? I mean, of course, there's out ex external beauty. That's only one part of what makes someone beautiful. It's just one part. Now, I knew that there were things I could do to be more physically attractive. I had to look at that piece of it. And I have worked on those things, including losing weight. But there was also this other piece of what is beauty? Beauty is originality. Beauty is thinking for oneself. Beauty is caring about other people. Beauty is kindness. Beauty is creating a beautiful environment. Beauty is the way we talk to each other and to ourselves. And I really did start to look at what it means to be beautiful. And I thought, you know, I'm trying to get people to like me. But part of what I realized genuine beauty is, is seeing the beauty in other people and reflecting that back to them. And the more I could reflect other people's beauty back to them and not make it about me, the more beautiful I became to myself, not just to other people. Do you get that? I became more beautiful to me. I could accept when other people would say, Lisa, you're kind or you're thoughtful or I love your voice or you seem so caring. And I could take those things in. I could take them in. And I think that's what brought out my beauty, was seeing the beauty in others. And to stop trying to be beautiful or prove myself to someone else. But when we don't have that confidence, we can't take it in. We sabotage, we push it away. It can be sitting right in front of us and we won't see it because we don't believe it's real. And you can't see something you don't believe. You can't take it in. There's real love in the world. There's unconditional love. It's available to every single one of you. Every one of you, you just have to open your heart to it. And there are all these ways that we push it away. So many ways. So if you're going to change these beliefs, if you're going to open your heart, if you're going to stop self-sabotaging, you have to have a deep inquiry into the belief that is causing you to self-sabotage. You have to change that belief, not by putting up affirmations and trying to talk yourself into the opposite, trying to talk yourself out of believing something, but by looking at how you are defining that thing and then redefining it in a way that supports you. Just like I went from thinking that beauty was something that I had to be, I had to be beautiful so that my physical attraction would draw male attention to me, I started to realize that beauty is so much bigger than that. There's so much more to it. And that even if I wasn't the youngest or prettiest or sexiest woman in the room, I could still be one of the most beautiful women because I could open my heart, I could speak from my heart, I could live from my heart, 
and I could look for the beauty in others. And that's how I became more beautiful. And from that place, I was able to attract the love of my life, the guardian of my soul. All right, ladies, I see lots of you have put some comments here. I'm going to run through them super fast. Rhonda says you can set goals for yourself, work at achieving them, look at your achievements, talk to yourself and build empowerment. Yes, you have to really look at your achievements and celebrate them. Be willing to acknowledge yourself for the achievements you've made and really pat yourself on the back, not look for approval and praise from other people, but give it to yourself. See who you are. I love this, Rhonda. This is such a good thing. And talk, you know, really believe in you. Really believe in yourself. That's one of the ways that you're going to build self-confidence and self-esteem. Good stuff. And then Brenda said, realize that whoever told us or taught us we weren't beautiful was only stating an opinion. True. That's true. That is true. Brenda, I don't know, you know, I don't remember ever being told I was ugly or that I wasn't beautiful. I don't just don't remember being told I was beautiful. And in fact, that was one of my big things with my father. When I went to his family week at rehab, you have to go like for a whole week with the addict. And so I went and, you know, I told my dad, I mean, he had never told me in, in my life that I was beautiful, you know, and not hearing that from your own father is really hard, especially because I have a half sister and he showered all that love on her, but never gave it to me. And I understand that for whatever reasons I threatened my dad, he just, he was really afraid of me in a lot of ways because I saw through him and I didn't put up with his stuff. He was used to kind of being able to, you know, charm his way with people and he couldn't do that with me. So Anyway, I never got that love, that positive feedback from him that I was looking for, you know, that validation that I was beautiful. But I think some people were also, te well, I was teased and bullied, so that didn't make me feel beautiful either. Um, all right, everybody, it is so great to see you all here, and I so appreciate you turning out. And I just want to share one more time that... Um, yeah, not receiving is injurious also. Absolutely. Yeah, Natalie, I think my father is not so <laughs> not so dissimilar to a lot of other fathers, but it's hard growing up with a father like that, especially when he's a womanizer. <laughs> so uh, I know you and I have a lot of similarities in our backgrounds. Ladies, please do me a favor. If there are subjects you want me to cover, just drop me an email, lisa at lisashield.com. My dear husband, who is an extraordinary, deep, masculine, heartfelt, self-aware man, is doing a Facebook Live with me every Sunday at noon Eastern time, getting inside the right male mind. Benjamin says the most beautiful things. In fact, and let me tell you what he said, because it was so beautiful, and it really was a showstopper. He said, shame, we were talking about male sexuality, and Benjamin said, shame can turn into vulnerability, and vulnerability can transform into intimacy. So shame can turn into vulnerability, and vulnerability can transform into intimacy. Think about that for a while. <laughs> That's pretty big.
we can take our shame and we can turn it into vulnerability. We can share the things that cause us shame. And then with that vulnerability, we can create intimacy. Just like me sharing about my father, Natalie and Linda echoed what I said with their fathers. I took my shame with my father. I turned it into vulnerability. I shared it right here with all of you. Natalie and Linda related to what I shared and it created intimacy with three of us because now we share the same experience. We just connect and really share our hearts. So yeah, I send you my love. Thank you so much for showing up today and for showing up as you always do. So many of you are so consistent. <laughs> All right, I'm going. Love to everybody. Have a great day. Enjoy your week. Bye, everybody.